Hello, this is Brian Bolio, CEO, Chief Economist for ITR Economics. Thank you for attending the SNAC International Webinar. Um, it was great. Um, sorry we didn't get to all the questions, but that's what this is about. We will get through them now. So, first one, curious to see what Brian says about 2021. Well, Brian says that the, um, in ITR Economics, says that the uh, economy is generally going to be in recovery mode. Uh, it's going to take a while to get back to any definition of normal, I suppose, in terms of pre-COVID levels of activity from an economic standpoint. That would be my definition of normal at the moment. We don't see GDP or industrial activity uh, returning to pre-COVID levels until we're deep into 2022. And if we get some missteps along the way, it could even be into early 2023 before we're fully recovered. But the trend is one of rise because uh, the consumer has the wherewithal, the opportunity and the desire to spend money. So that's not going to uh, slow us down. That's going to help us uh, on our road to recovery. Our next question is, was that extra money like a drug from which we get dependent? Oh, brother or sister, you just hit one of my big concerns. One of the monsters underneath my bed is how many people just learn the lesson? Oh, when things get really bad, government's just going to print more money or create more money and get it into our hands rather than us having to feel any pain. And the next time, who gets to decide what really bad is? Uh, Thomas Jefferson once said that every democracy degenerates into a re, uh, republic, and republic build. No, every republic degenerates into a democracy, and democracy degenerates into socialism. And the key to all that is when the voters realize that they have the keys to the treasury. And we've just showed them where all the keys are, and they like it. We think the moral hazard from all this is um, is pretty worrisome. Uh, it is a drug from which a lot of people are going to get more and more dependent. I think we've seen that slowly happen over the last 25 years. Next question is, how do we even attempt to pay off our national debt with these most recent debt ads and potential additional stimulus payments? Is that even a concern? Uh, we don't have any intention as a country to pay off this debt for now. And the world doesn't seem to be concerned about it right now either. Um, we, we know that from measuring, or we think we know that from measuring the relative yield on requests or demands on our debt versus other industrialized nations. And it's all trading within the parameters of normal behavior. So no one seems to be upset about how much debt the U.S. has taken on because the world pretty much has been taking on more debt. Although, let's be clear, uh, Europe, for instance, helped out their economies a lot more by offering loans than by offering free money. Uh, we went way beyond Europe, for instance, in, in that regard, in terms of going into debt. They don't have as free a thinking as we do about that, or they have more of a compunction about fiscal responsibility than we do. But for now, no one's worrying about us paying off that debt. That'll change when interest rates get higher. And that's going to be a question that comes up in a little bit. So um, we'll defer that for the moment. Next question. What indicators lead to the statement, China is on the sunset side of their growth curve? Uh, there are 
as the question uh, implies, there are several. One is the uh, slowing rate of growth in China beyond just the um, size of China. Obviously, as you increase in size, your rate of growth diminishes. That's a mathematical certainty. But what we're seeing is that certainty is being exacerbated or magnified because the the government continues to want to acquire, and that's a good word for it, uh, power, political power, political stability via the state-owned enterprises getting a disproportionate share of the country's wealth. So instead of feeding capital-intensive or capitalist-driven businesses, they continue to prop up these state-owned enterprises, SOEs. Um, the other factor is, uh, another factor is the sheer massive amount of debt that the, is the Chinese economy. That's a house of cards uh, waiting to fall in upon itself if you are an advocate of fiscal responsibility. And the third is um, the global trend toward nationalism. And as people look to move their supply chains closer to home, in our case, either Mexico, Canada, or the US, or at least out of China for fear of COVID-19 and political issues and into Vietnam, let's say, or um, India. Um, all of those things do not augur well for China. So it's really those three factors that make us think that they're on the sunset of their growth curve. Then you can layer on the longer term ramifications of demographics and lack of natural resources. Um, those would be four and five, uh, points four and five, to buttress my statement. Next question is, how will the consumers respond to the inflation of goods as a result of reshoring? We have such a large population that it depends on the discount channel and most of the goods are produced in countries with lower labor rates. You know, there are lower labor rates uh, in a lot of those countries, but you gotta look beyond that. You have to look at the landed cost. Um, those are the numbers that really matter, not just the lower labor rates. So yes, well, the reshoring um, maybe disrupt some of that discounting only to the extent I think that, you know, Walmart has, is known for wanting to drive down prices year after year after year, but they're also very adamant these days about trying to find more and more U.S. sources. So maybe they'll stop looking for that X percent decline in price every year and consumers will slowly adjust. Uh, discount is a relative term. And when our major department stores are not as prolific as they are now, and more and more brick and mortar is done in these discount stores, for instance, what is discounted anymore? Uh, that becomes the new norm. Um, so you go to the East sites, right? But again, it's the landed costs that ultimately matter. And quality eventually begins to matter also. Onshoring and inflation will unfortunately go hand in hand. This will accelerate automation, as has the pandemic. Uh, it's not so much a question as a statement, but we hope it does accelerate uh, automation. That's the capital advantage we have here in the United States is automate, automate, automate. That's one of the ways that you can keep your margins healthy uh, in the midst of um, what will be a labor situation going forward. And that's another question we're going to get to in just a few moments. 
There's a question here is why uh, ITR thinks there's a three-year lag in the inflation impact. And the reason we think that is because we've studied prior monetary binges, what we've gone through, although the current one is on steroids compared to those. And you can measure how long does it take before that stimulation impacts the consumer price index. And our judgment is it's two to three years. The Federal Reserve, if you look at their releases, they're telling you they don't see any inflation out through 2023. That's their view on it also. And they're no fools either. Um, they may want to look through rose-colored glasses at times, but when you look at capacity utilization rates being where they are today, when you look at the demographics, when you look at the uncertainty, when you look at some of the disruptions going on out there, three years, two to three years, I think is a very comfortable margin for assuming we're not going to get back into problematic inflation. And by that, I mean consumer price inflation above two to two and a half percent. When it starts pushing on 3%, that's when you start, or 25 to 3%, that's when you're going to start getting the Federal Reserve's attention. That's when it becomes problematic. So we're going to go from zero or one half percent up to 2%, but that's not going to be enough to nudge interest rates or really create any concerns in the economy. Next question. Hey, I hasn't talked about the potentially permanent 10 million newly unemployed and the impact to consumption. That's because the the uh, potentially, uh, well, the 10 million unemployed, we don't see that any probability that they are permanently unemployed. Neither does the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve is forecasting that the unemployment rate drops down to 5.5% by the end of 2021. We're saying it'll be more like 7%, but I'd love their 5.5% to be true. Our view is that even at 7%, what that means is that there's 3 million people unemployed at the end of 2021 that were previously employed before COVID, okay? So there's no 10 million there, uh, at least not on the Delta. Now, when we were at full employment pre-COVID, there were 6 million people unemployed at that time. Those people were structurally unemployed. They didn't have the skill sets or they weren't in the right geography or they didn't really want a job. So really what we're talking about when you mentioned 10 million is I flashed to the 3 million who were previously employed, obviously wanted to be working, and we think are going to still be unemployed. The Fed, by their numbers, thinks it'll be more like 1.5 million people still haven't found uh, that job that they've been looking for. So I'm sorry, just not going to sign off on uh, permanently uh, displacing 10 million people because of this. Our very large population comment, U.S. population growth is continually slowing and most, most growth is due to immigration. Uh, that's true, it is continuously slowing. And it is one, you know, when you look at birth rates, by the way, you're talking about what the population is gonna look like 25 years out. So slowing is the operative word. We still have a growing population and you're absolutely right. Uh, the most growth is due to immigration. That's one of the reasons why we've been very concerned about anti-immigrant fervor is because we need them to maintain population growth. Population growth is a fundamental way to keep your economy growing. The questioner goes on to say automation will be a necessity with onshoring. The concern is, though, the skill set gaps. Will it create a lower class with zero opportunity due to the simplest jobs being automated? How do we manage this oncoming skill set gap? 
we're going to manage it if we're sensible through education, vocational training, and make sure that people are skilled up or schooled up to the level where we need them rather than at that lowest level that we are going to largely automate. But please keep in mind, on a lot of the simplest jobs still can't be automated. That's what we're going to do if we're logical. If we're not logical about it, from my view as a capitalist economist, we'll create universal minimum income. Um, so even if you are in that zero, you know, fall below the skill gap, let's call it that, uh, you'll be guaranteed a minimum income level, um, thereby removing any incentive to go to school, get that training, and be above that skill gap level. Uh, that would be very destructive, but it is a way that the issue can be dealt with, and in other countries it would be dealt with. I would like to hear his perspective on the weakening U.S. dollar. You're going to get more of that perspective during our December 15th webinar that ITR Economics is hosting. But it ties in with um, the financial flows. It ties in with prospects for inflation further down the road, interest rate trends further down the road, and how the world perceives the dollar or the U.S. economy, and by extension, the dollar, post-2023-24. Um, we'll be addressing that, so I'm sorry to be fuzzy about that, but suffice it to say, it'd be unusual to see the dollar continue to strengthen, which has really characterized the last decade, uh, continue on unfettered for a whole nother decade that just would not be normal. The shifts occur. Along with that weakened dollar comment, Thoughts on the potential of any real use of cryptocurrency. I think the potential for cryptocurrency is high. I just don't think the private market cryptocurrency uh, is going to be where it's at. Look for the Federal Reserve to develop their own version of cryptocurrency to replace paper and coin currency. Um, when the e-commerce platforms were coming out with their own version, of cryptocurrency, for instance, the Federal Reserve was very quick to acknowledge and jump all over that and say, look, monetary policy is the purview of us here at the Federal Reserve. We are working on a national and international cryptocurrency scheme with the other central bankers around the world. So it's real, it's gonna happen. It's just not gonna be Bitcoin per se or any one of the other private cryptocurrency platforms that currently exist out there at least in our opinion. That answers all of your remaining questions. Um, these were really insightful, good questions, and uh, I expect nothing else from this August party. So uh, thank you for that. And I look forward to seeing you next time. This is Brian Bolio representing all of ITR Economics. Thank you again.